Well, at the 2.30 service, we are, during this month, looking at the topic of relationships up to marriage. And so Gabriel was speaking today on uh, the topic of what's the difference, if there is any, between dating and courting. In other words, how to approach um, looking for uh, the person that you think might be your wife. And, and they're dealing very much with the sort of practical responses and reactions to, to these things, these relational issues. But at the 5 o'clock service, we're actually going to be looking at things a little bit more theologically. Of course, there'll be application, but we want to spend more time going into the theology of family, and marriage, looking at some of the more difficult issues later on, like divorce and all these types of things. Uh, one book that I would recommend to you if you want to get deeper into the theology of God, marriage, and family is a book called God, Marriage, Family, and uh, that's by Andreas Kostenberger. There you are. Uh, God, Marriage, and Family, Andreas Kostenberger. You can get this from, um, I know you can get it from uh, Amazon. And that, that's an excellent book uh, if you want to do some more study on it. Well, last week it was an introduction into the whole topic of family. And um, we were looking at such issues as, you know, what is the family? in the Bible, and we looked at some of the Old Testament words and some of the New Testament words for what family was, and uh, we, we looked at the definition of family, and we, we saw that, without going over ground, because it's up there on the media, that there were two, the two pairs of words in the Old and the New Testament looked at family as a blood relationship, but also as a local, locality a, a place of togetherness, a household where you dwelt with your family. We then looked at the importance of family and found that family is so important in the Bible from the beginning to the end. Family is not just a basic unit, unit of society, but God is very interested in the family. I mean, for example, in Genesis, as soon as we get over the creation, the whole of Genesis is concerned with families. You think of the Old Testament and all the genealogies that you have. It's important who your family is. We look at many of the great stories of the Bible are to do with family, family relationships, and even marriage relationships. We think of Abraham and his wife Sarah, and then he got married to Hagar. We think of Isaac looking for Rebecca. We think of Jacob and Rachel and, and Leah. We think of... Uh, Joseph and his brothers and all the problems that was taking place in that family. And so throughout Genesis, a, a lot of the great truths are conveyed through the medium of family. You see the best of marriage and the worst of marriage in Genesis. You see the best of families and the worst of families. Not just in Genesis, I suppose, but, but throughout the whole of the Bible. We know that the Gospels, what do the Gospels start with? Well, Matthew and Luke start with the genealogy. Uh, it's important for them to explain to us that Jesus was part of a family. And we looked at other issues uh, like that in introduction. But today what we're going to have a look at is we're going to have a look at marriage, at least in the earlier parts of the Old Testament. Because what we're doing at the five o'clock service is we are looking at what the Bible teaches about marriage and family. Uh, there's so many different people in this day and age that have opinions on what marriage is and who can be married to who and how many wives or husbands you can have and whether a man can marry a man and a wife can marry a wife. And there's many different discussions today as well on what, a, what constitutes a family. And, and we know that in today's broken society that family life is, is all over the place, really. And <coughs> many children grow up, they never know their fathers or... Many children grow up in households where former marriages have been dissolved, so they're living with their stepsister and their stepfather with their mother, and, and all, all kinds of arrangements are taking place 
in today. And, and God is here for everyone. And God's love for families means that whatever situation we've found ourselves in, in our family upbringing, or whatever we've gone through, uh, good or bad, God is interested. God is healing, interested in healing families. Right at the end of the Old Testament, right at the end of Malachi, what does it say? Just before it launches into the New Testament, it has a family statement. It says that the spirit of Elijah will come and turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. So right at the end of the Old Testament, we see this family focus. And so that's what we, we want to look at is what does the Bible say? Whether you agree with what the Bible teaches about family or marriage, well in the end that's up to you. But the marriage does have an opinion on these things and, and the God of the Bible has an opinion on these things. So we're going to look now a little bit more in depth at marriage, especially as it's rooted in, in uh, the books of Genesis or the, or the the chapters of Genesis. Next week what we'll do is we'll be looking at, at the different genders. Next Sunday we'll be looking at what does it mean in the Bible to be a man. And then the Sunday after that, Amanda Dye, Colin's wife herself, she's going to be coming and teaching us what does the Bible say it is about being a woman or a woman of God. So next week it's going to be what is a man of God, a man. And what does it mean to be a man and not a woman in the Bible? And not just biologically, but what is God's purpose for men? What should we be teaching? What should our men be like? What should our boys be growing as? And then the week after, we'll be looking at that. And then I'll be coming back out of that, and I'll be able to talk about the different... We'll touch a little bit on the roles of marriage today, but I'll be able to go a little bit stronger into the different roles of husband and wife, father and mother, um, relationships with children... And then we'll look at some of the other things like uh, what is the teaching on divorce and remarriage in the Bible? What's God's heart? Because he has a very strong heart for single parents. And how does God bring healing into families? And if you've been in a broken family, does that mean it's over for you and you will just have a broken family too? Not at all. God is in the healing business. But we'd, I'd like to start, please, in Genesis chapter 1. Now, this is important, what Genesis teaches us, not only about man and woman, but also the marriage be between them. Jesus himself in the New Testament, when they came to him, and we'll look at this later on in the month, the next month, um, they came to him and they started asking him all these questions about divorce, all about divorce and this, that and the other. And Jesus' first question is, look, it wasn't so in the beginning. Jesus recognized that the pattern for marriage, as it should be, was found in Genesis. He said to them, look, God allowed, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses to bring in laws regulating divorce and remarriage. But it wasn't so in the beginning. So even the laws in the Old Testament on divorce and remarriage, it wasn't God's best. It wasn't God's model. It was God bringing something in to deal with the imperfections of people, but it wasn't his plan. God never, ever planned for divorce. And so if we look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, some uh, words that will be familiar to you, we see Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so here in this picture we see that God, having done all the rest of creation, the pinnacle of his creation, was that he created human beings. And he created them not like all the other animals or anything else in creation, he created them especially in his own image. Not just the male, but male and female. He created them in his 
own image. Here in Genesis 1 to 3, we see God's intended pattern for marriage presented. It is the creator's design for marriage for every age, including our own. We see that marriage is rooted in God's creative act of making humanity. When God created Adam and Eve, it wasn't, it wasn't out of context. It was in the context of marriage. Marriage was the context of them being created. But also, as we'll see, marriage was also the context of the fall. So when God created Adam and then later Eve, it was for a divine purpose. We'll look at that divine purpose. But when Adam and Eve fell, we find that what went wrong was the marriage went wrong. The marriage was not working, and that's why the fall took place. And you may never have looked at it from that perspective, but we will look at it today. And what we're going to see is three things here. That man and woman, as we just read, were created in God's image. And for a purpose, they were to subdue the earth for God and they were to multiply. God blessed them together and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So when God created Adam and Eve for marriage, it was also that they would have children. This is a very important point when we talk about the biblical view of marriage. You, you can't talk about the biblical view or the Bible's view of marriage without there being the aspect of the husband and wife producing children. Now, you might immediately say, well, what about couples that can't produce children? Uh, well, we're not talking about that right now. We're talking in general terms. And we also find later on in Genesis that there were couples that did find it very difficult to produce children. We find that Abraham and Sarah found extremely difficult to produce a child. God had to step in with a miracle. We find that Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, they too found it very difficult to bear children. So we, we see that there. But generally speaking, when God created Adam and Eve, when he created man and woman, he created them to be fruitful and to multiply. It was the basis of a family. It wasn't just the two of them the two of them together, going off and doing, having some great time and, and, and like no other purpose. Uh, Adam was just there for Eve and Eve was just there for Adam and, and they were just there in this lovely, harmonious, romantic relationship. No, there was a purpose. If they hadn't multiplied, God would have come down and sort of like knocked on their door and say, uh, anything the matter? It's just, when I brought you together, yes, there's friendship and, and, and help and yes, you, you're subduing the earth for me, but actually, I was also expecting you to multiply. Secondly, we, we will see that man was created first and given ultimate responsibility for the marriage relationship. Both are responsible for the relationship, of course, as we'll see, but man was given the ultimate relationship, and woman was placed alongside the man as a suitable helper. Thirdly, as I mentioned earlier, we will see that the fall brings negative consequences for both the man and the woman and actually brings negative situations into that marriage that God had created. So the first thing, man and women were created in God's image. In Genesis 1, 27, it says, God created them in his image. Now, when we talk about being made in God's image, it's an incredible, powerful thing that we read. And it sets us apart from all other animals or everything in the created order. It's incredible. It bestows on man and woman incredible worth, dignity, and significance. In fact, to be made in man's image, what God was saying, you are going to be my re representatives on earth. You're going to carry my authority uh, I am in charge, but I'm giving you the authority to rule the earth, to subdue it and to multiply. So they were God's representatives on earth. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the birds and the heavens. In other, in other words, I am giving you authority and dominion. And uh, the context was to be fruitful and multiply, as I've already said. So he was, they were to take a representative role 
by, uh, together, uh, and uh, they were to be joint stewards of the earth, joint uh, responsibility for multiplying, and to subdue the earth. Now, we will see that there were different aspects and different roles in this relationship together. And um, secondly, we see that man's ultimate responsibility or has ultimate responsibility in the marriage. And the wife's role is of a suitable helper. Man's primary responsibility, the primary responsibility for a man in marriage, and then when they have children, man is, has the primary responsibility for the well-being of the marriage and the well-being of the family. Paul mentions this when he speaks in 1 Corinthians 11.9 about certain issues, about the fact that because Adam was created first, it's an indication that he is also the head of the family and therefore has primary responsibility. I'll I'll just read that for you to to give you a little thing. 1 Corinthians um, 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is a husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, if we, we move a little bit further down to verse 7, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And so what Paul is doing there, you can forget about the head coverings and everything like that. We can discuss that another time, but what he's actually addressing by principle, not by culture, is he he is addressing the various responsibilities in marriage of the man and the woman. And here he is saying that man has primary responsibility in the marriage and in the family because God created him first. And we see this because there was a period of time before a suitable helper was made for Adam. For example, before Eve had come into existence, uh, God had already given a divine command to Adam himself. In Genesis chapter chapter 2, verse 16, It says, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, and this was before Eve was saying, saying, you must surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord said, it is not good that the man will be alone. I'll make for him a helper fit for him. Just notice there that what was about to happen when they ate the fruit of that tree Well, God had first spoken to Adam before Eve even came onto the scene and told him and given him the command, you make sure that you don't eat from that tree. It's interesting what different scholars say about that because some some wonder whether Adam properly passed on that command to Eve when, when, when she came onto the scene. Also, it was we find that Adam was presented with the woman in Genesis 2, verse 18. It's fascinating to see this. It wasn't the man saying, hey, I feel like I need a helper. I feel like something's missing here. I think I feel alone. I feel lonely. It wasn't the man that went to God saying, there's something missing here. But it was God. It was God that understood that man was it was not good for man to be alone, and it was God's plan to give the man a helper, to give the man a partner to do the work for him. And so when this takes place, we see that, that this is God's creative plan. This was God's initiative. There was the man alone. He didn't create them both immediately together out of the dust, but we know about, about the story. Here it is. 
um, verse um, 20, the man gave name to the livestock and the birds in the heavens. He was already exercising his authority. But it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he was slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had made from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And here's the marriage verse. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so in that story there, we see that marriage is right there at the beginning of creation. Adam has been given his role. He's already exercising his authority. He's been warned about eating from the fruit of that tree. And then God initiates and says, you know, you, you need a suitable helper. You need a partner to do this. And then out of himself, out of his rib, out, out, from, from out of within him, is um, Eve is formed. And I think that's wonderful that God didn't form Eve independently from man. He was, but Eve came out of Adam's. There's that sense of reliance on one another that she came from his side. Somebody once said she didn't come from his head to be over him or from his feet to be under him, but she came from his side to be beside him. And that's, act, that's actually what the scripture is talking about. Because when the word suitable helper is used here, this tells us a lot about the respective roles of husband and wife in marriage. We see that the woman is there as the associate, if you like, of the man. The man is the senior partner of the family, and the wife is the associate partner of the family. I used the, the image last week because I think it's a good image because unfortunately today, as soon as you start speaking about the, the, the woman being a suitable helper, in this day and age, it's suddenly seen as somehow second class. Or if you start speaking about the man being the head of the family or being ultimately in the place of responsibility, uh, some women and men uh, react to that and say, oh, so woman's second best. Well, that's absolutely not the case. Not pre-fall anyway. Post-fall, everything goes wrong. But pre-fall, what was meant, what was taking place was a little bit like the fact that for a number, many years, I've been the associate minister here. Colin Dye is the senior minister of Kensington Temple, and I am presently the associate minister of Kensington Temple. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm inferior to Colin, does that mean that my life isn't as worthwhile here on earth? Does that mean that somehow I'm second rate? Not at all. It's just two different roles. I'm as important to God as Colin is. If, if, if I felt that being an associate minister was somehow second rate or second best, then I probably would have left, wouldn't I? In fact, that's a lot of, that's, uh, that's, that is actually just out of interest. That is the main reason that a lot of people leave from being an assistant or an associate in the church. Because somehow in their minds, or those that are around them, the fact that you're only second in command means that you're second rate, or you're second best. And surely one day in your life, you will be first best, and you will have a church of your own, and then you'll be even more important. Well, that, that's a crazy way of looking at it, and especially if you translated that to marriage. No, the roles are different, and one of my main roles, if not the main role, is a supportive role, isn't it? I'm the associate minister. So you say, well, what's one of your main roles? If you were to sum up what your main role is here, I'd say it's to support the senior minister. To support, oh, so you're his slave. Not at all. Not at all. I'm his associate. I'm, I have a supporting role, but that doesn't mean that, that I, I don't have ideas. That doesn't mean that we don't plan together and with others. It, it's, it's a supportive role. It's a dig. It doesn't mean that I'm treated second best. You hear what I'm saying? And so when we're talking about a marriage, just because one has a senior role, one has an associate role, 
that the wife is the associate to the husband does not mean in any shape, way, or form that she is second best. I mean, look at Jesus. He came to serve. In fact, this role, helper, can be used of God as well. The same word for helper, ezer, can be used as God as a helper. And God shows that, that, that when he came, when he sent his son, he sent his son to be servant of, the, of all. Not, it was, the problem was, was the disciples. The disciples all wanted to be the senior minister, didn't they? Oh, who's going, to be the, who's going to be the greatest? Who'll be the greatest after Jesus? Who will lead Jesus' cell? When he, they'd got it all wrong, hadn't they? Jesus said, the greatest amongst you must be the servant. So anybody that reacts against the idea of a senior role for the husband and an associate or supporting role for a wife must have either had a very bad experience, as possible, of such roles, a dominating husband or something like that, or a dominating father, and they thought, oh, this is terrible, or they are reading in um, modern false thinking into the Bible, extreme feminism into the Bible, and uh, they've already prejudged it and, 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 and certainly aren't in a position uh, where they're ready to serve in any respect in, in the church because the way up is the way down. Now, she was bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. They were both, and, and they were mandated together. You see, marriage is a partnership. It's a partnership with purpose. It's not just two people coming together to be married and, you know, forget the world. You know, sometimes when people get married, I can understand, I suppose, the honeymoon period. They get married and they're in a little world of their own. Now, that's all right when you're on honeymoon in wherever hot country. You want to be in a little world of your own. But after a while, you've got to stop and think, wait a second, what is the purpose of this marriage? And in today's culture, there's some very interesting and strange views about the purpose of marriage. And so when you change the purpose of marriage, then you are probably going to come into conflict with the Bible's view of marriage. Because if you have a different purpose for marriage, then you are going to define marriage differently, aren't you? So if you think that marriage is simply just two human beings who have strong emotional love for one another who want to be together to express that love, and that's what marriage is, then, then, then you, you've already moved away from the Bible's definition of marriage. And so today, when we speak about traditional marriage, or you speak about gay marriage, well, the moment you speak about gay marriage, you've immediately changed some of the things that we've already spoken about in the Genesis definition, haven't you? Well, because we've immediately linked this to the multiplication, the procreation of children, I've already began to speak about the different gender roles. Because when we, when we look at the marriage situation here, it's, it's, it's not unisex. It's not unisex. There are gender roles in the Bible's opinion. So if you move from that and you say, well, for me, that's not what marriage is. For me, marriage is just simply two people, or three or four, as, as, as now the new thing, now, now that we, we, we've redefined marriage, or the world's redefined marriage, to being male and male, female and female, they've redefined it, it's law. Now the next step is, well, who's to say you, sh you can only marry one person? Maybe you can be in love with two people, maybe you can have a marriage of three, and, and that's the next thing on the agenda. And the thing is, they're just... They're defining marriage differently to the Bible. We're talking about two different things. Because biblical marriage is based on gender roles and is based on multiplication, partnership together, and one of the main criteria of biblical marriage in the Bible view is the procreation of children and families. I've already mentioned that this is God's idea, this idea... Of, of, of togetherness, of partnership, of companionship. Companionship is at the heart of marriage here. But like I said, there is purpose to this. And the purpose, according to Genesis, is to produce children and to have a family. And um, what we see, when we, when we see this re-emphasized, re actually, when we come to the fall. Because Adam and Eve were together, 
And then when the fall took place, everything was going wrong in their marriage. And we're going to look at that. Let's, let's have a look at that. In, um, yes, in the fall, when Adam and Eve fall, we see a complete reversals of the roles assigned by God to the man and to the woman. Before the fall, God is in, is in charge with the man helped by the woman ruling creation. But when we come to Genesis chapter 3, it all seems to go a bit strange. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now, remember, we don't have chapters in the original Bible, so we've just read verse 24, a summary of marriage. And so, let's, so let me just show you how the fall is linked to marriage, not just something that happened to two people. But as soon as this marriage is established, the devil comes in. Verse 24 of Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. That means be faithful. And they shall become one flesh. That's how strong the partnership is. And the man and his wife are both naked and not ashamed. Now the next word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the head of the family, he said to the man, did God actually say? Do you notice? He didn't say it to the man, did he? Straight away, something strange is taking place. It's like, you know, if someone was to write to Kensington Temple and um, write, Dear Reverend Atkinson, I am writing to you as the head uh, pastor of Kensington Temple to ask that you would give me your authority to do X, Y, and Z. Now, immediately, if I received a letter addressing me as the lead senior minister of Kensington Temple, what would I do with that letter? Pass it on, wouldn't I? Or I might write back and say, uh, Actually, I'm the associate minister. What you're asking and the nature of what you're asking is beyond my authority alone to do. You, you, you actually, what you need to do is address the senior minister. I'd write back. Or I would pass it on and say, Colin, this person seems to misunderstand my role here. They're asking me to make a decision only the senior minister can do. Now, you might want my opinion on this as your associate, but really I've got to hand this to you. How do you want to deal with it? How shall we deal with it. Do you see that? Well, that but, but here we find that the serpent went straight away and cut across God's plan for marriage and went directly to the woman. Now, that's not just Satan going directly to Eve, but we find another thing, Eve responded wrongly. Now wait till I get to Adam. I leave, you know, he's ultimately responsible, so he gets it worse. But not only did he approach Eve, but Eve responded. Eve responded, and in that response, she was taking the role of the man or the husband or the head in making these critical decisions. She was taking the lead. Now, you say, well, where was Adam exactly? Adam was, was, was at worst absent. Remember, he had been given by God the commandment not to eat of that tree before Eve had even come. He'd been given that commandment. And therefore, as head of the marriage, he was responsible, ultimately responsible, not just for himself, but for his associate, his wife, to ensure that nobody ate from that tree. Now, at worst, he was absent. He had absconded himself from taking responsibility. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but isn't that the problem with men today in, in, in broken Britain? I mean, we have so many young or maybe even not young, single ladies who are just left with the baby. Well, if you're not going to do an abortion, I don't want to know. And so many young, single females, for every, they're abandoned by these men that, that you know, will give them a child or, or bring them into such a situation without the benefits of marriage and then just walk away and they're left raising a child with the grandparents or whoever it is for years and years and years. And the father's just Absent. You can see this right here. But actually, it, it seems that the husband 
was with her. Because in Genesis chapter 3, it says, so when the woman saw, sorry, Genesis 3 verse 6, it says, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight uh, to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. So it seems like he may have well have been with her. Again, I know I'm moving ahead because we're already in fall territory now, aren't we? One of the problems in marriages today is the husband that just sits, if I can, sits there, it's probably, probably there right now, sitting there with a can of beer on his couch, waiting for the World Cup. And where's his three kids? Oh, mum's getting dinner ready for them. And is he interested in the fact that they've got homework to do tomorrow? That's mum's job. You know what I'm talking about. And it's like, you sort them out, you sort them out. And they, the husband that, that, that doesn't take responsibility for the education of his children, doesn't take responsibility for the fitness of his family and the health of his family, doesn't take responsibility for the health of his wife. On the contrary, you know, the old, where's my tea? Get my tea ready. You know, just sit in there, you know, without taking responsibility. And it's very, very often you see that a woman has to take responsibility for everything to do with the family. I mean, I remember, um, it's not as bad as it might seem, but I, just, just a couple of weeks ago, I was just out having coffee with my wife, and we were just sitting in a nice garden centre having coffee, and then next door to us, uh, there was this couple, and they were talking. And it's obvious that they had a, a child, or, or a boy, or a girl, I don't know which one it was, about the same age as our son, Jake, 17, and and Jake's thinking about maybe if he gets the grades going to university. And to go to university is a process. You have to know how to apply, what to do. You know, you just, they don't, you just don't leave it to the school. And we were listening, and, and it was obvious that, the per, that, the, that their child was at the same, same stage. But the father obviously hadn't taken any interest in it at all in any way. But the mother knew everything about it. And so she was saying to him something new that... I mean, when I first heard about it, it was new to me. And yes, my wife did tell me about it, but that's because we were, we were looking at it together. And she was saying, oh, no, you can only apply for one subject. You can't apply for geography and chemistry on your application. You've got to do one, and it's got to be an application. He's going, what? And it was the first time. And everything she was saying to him, he had no idea at all in any way, shape, and form what his child was doing, and she had, and you could hear her, and she had researched everything, she had spoken to teachers, she'd done it all, and, he, and it had all been done, it was all set in motion, and then suddenly in a coffee break it comes up, and he is like, no idea. Well, that's wrong. I'm not saying that that, that doesn't mean, like, like I said, my, my wife is a teacher, and so naturally she did, a lot, she did some of the groundwork, but if I, you know... We're a partnership. Do you know what I'm saying? But it was the disinterest and the sort of like, what? He took no, and he is ultimate, ultimately responsible. They're both responsible, but he is ultimately responsible for the education of his child. And it's all right to delegate in the right way, but when you delegate, that's not dumping. Delegation is not dumping. Delegate, when you delegate something, you have to empower, help, aid, and support, all right? So that, that's just a picture. So here, I'm just giving you pictures of the way it goes. And so there, there he is. He's, he's there, and, and it, the picture is he's either not there, an absent father, an absent husband, sorry, or he's there, and he's like, not interested. And then there is, the, there is Eve having to take the lead, having to play the senior role and stepping out of that which she was given. So you've got the head of the kingdom of darkness addressing your wife, if you're a man here today, think about it. You've got Satan speaking to your wife. I mean, if you're out in a public place and, and some big bruising guy who, who looks bad news starts you know, coming up to your wife and talking to your wife and asking your wife, you're going to say, hey, what's going on here? Because your, your duty as... as, as is protector. You're going to say, hey, excuse me, is there some problem here? You're to, well, you know, I'm here now. I'm, I'm, I'm the husband. Uh, can I help you? 
you would step in, wouldn't you? Well, you should do. You would, you would step in and, and deal with this. Well, Adam either wasn't there or it looks like he was there and he was just letting it go on. So straight away we see that the way that God had set it up was not working right and this was going to actually produce the fall. The mixture of roles in marriage and the roles being reversed was setting in motion the fall of the whole world. The divine pattern was not being fulfilled. Man had primarily responsibility. And so when the fall took place, who did God primarily blame? Adam. I haven't got time, but you can go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and it says, sin came into the world through Adam. Not Eve, Adam. Yet when you read it, it looks like it was Eve's fault. You know, Eve, got, Eve did all the work and Adam just took a bite and it's not really his fault. But Eve doesn't get, even get a mention in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Not even mentioned. It was Adam. Why? Because it was Adam's responsibility. You see, if you falsely think that because the husband has ultimate responsibility and therefore an authority that goes with that ultimate responsibility, that needs to be unpacked, obviously, but that authority, people can think, oh, I don't like it that the man's the boss, but anybody that's ever worked, male or female, in, in levels of, of business or work or education, isn't it true, it's harder the more responsibility you have. So, you know, if you're a teacher and you become head of a department, um, the headaches don't decrease, they increase, if I can put it that way. Okay, and you have, you're given more authority, you're given a little bit more money, to recognize you're given more authority, but anybody that understands, the more authority you are given in any sphere, the more responsibility. I mean, the more responsibility. Any idea that, oh, I want power, why? So I can wield it irresponsibility is, irresponsibly is absolutely alien to Bible concepts of authority. So actually, it, it should be easier and almost preferable to be in the supporting role, because you don't carry the can. And you know, sometimes those of you that have been at any level of management or leadership, you know, when you've been there or when you've hit that management where you're really dealing with some things, you might be up for it, but partly you think, you know, I remember the good old days, the good old days when I didn't have all this responsibility, when the buck didn't stop with me, and when I didn't have to sort this out, when I was the person being sorted out and, and everything. So again, it's, it's, it's a misunderstanding of the roles of authority and responsibility uh, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so Adam was blamed for this. And so the fall affected their primary roles. We see in uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Now this is important because this reaffirms the design that God had for marriage and reaffirms the roles that are there. Now, we, we are going to, in, you know, it, during this period, spend a lot more time on roles in the marriage. We'll, we'll look at that, the husband's roles and the female. I'm just giving a theological background um, here. And, you know, your classic is in Ephesians, where it talks about, you know, women submit to the husband, but husbands, you're to love and cherish your wife like Jesus does the church. And, and, and that just shows you, you know, a woman... It has, you know, is a partner and in the end has got that submissive associate type helping. It doesn't mean that they can't have a different opinion. It doesn't mean that they can't argue the point. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't just sit there like a computer and say, Colin, what do you want me to do? Oh, and then think, well, I disagree. Uh, what I'll do is I'll give my opinion, but in, a, in an associate assistant type. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I, won't, you know, I won't say, well, I disagree and I'm not doing that but then he would always ask for my opinion. These are roles that we're going to look at later. But look, look, this is so important because this reaffirms the Bible's view of marriage. So many different views. Whatever view you have, you have, but we're talking about the Bibles. And look, it says, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Straight away, one of the main roles of marriage is to produce children, families. God loves families. 
And in God's view, families are meant to come from a married couple. And that married couple, male and female, are to produce together the children. That's God's plan. And so here, God's major mandate here, the fall struck at the major mandate of marriage, producing families. And then look at this. Then the fall and the judgment hits the marriage itself. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. See, all of this is about marriage, isn't it? We talk about the great fall of the world and Jesus coming to save the world and reverse the effects of the fall. But we're talking about marriage. We're talking about God creating male and female in his image together to partner, to do his will on the earth in marriage. We're talking about the enemy coming in to destroy marriage. We're talking about, about the enemy coming in and changing the marriage and, and getting it off God's pattern and causing it to fall. Then we're talking about judgment coming, affecting not just the marriage now, but the production of family. And now here, your desire shall be for your husband. What that's talking about is rebellion. That's talking about you as, as a wife. Instead of being the suitable helper, you're going to be very unsuitable because you're going to be the one that wants to be in charge. And you are going to try every trick in the book to do it. And if you can't be angry and scream and shout to get your husband to do it, then you'll start crying and using other manipulative techniques. Because if you can't dominate and bully your husband, after all, normally, they're bigger than you, then, and this is, this is where you get the Jezebel, you know what I'm talking about, and, and all these things. So there's the woman now grasping at the role. I'm not saying all women are like this, I'm saying this is the judgment. Rasping, I don't want to be submissive, I don't want to be in this role, I don't, I want to, I want to, I want to. But then you've got the backlash your husband shall rule over you. So now we're not, talk, we're not talking about a senior minister, an associate minister in harmony, in partnership, understanding their roles, accepting their roles as God-given, flourishing in their roles, and making an impact together. Now we're talking about an associate minister. I'm putting it in those terms so that you don't just see it, male, female, male, female. Uh, it's, like it's, an it's an associate minister now saying, I've had it here, I want to be boss. I, I'm going to be making the decisions now here. I want, I want the label. I want senior in front of my name. I want, I want, I want. Well, you're not having it. Yes, I am. No, you're not. We're bang, 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 church split. Well, we're talking about now, these are the things that we see. So when you see marriage and it's out of order, you're going to see, and we see that, you know, husbands battering their wives. But even in this day and age, it's not nowhere near as far as common, but there's even wives battering their husbands, you know. But husbands, husbands exerting their authority, ruling, and, and just being everything that they're not meant to be. Not taking responsible, just dominating. And then on the reverse, you've got the wife up to all sorts of things. And then, I suppose I'll have to finish here. <coughs> and then to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife. It doesn't mean that we can't listen to the voice of my wife. My wife has got one of the best voices there is to listen to. She's my, she's my treasure of wisdom. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife. In other words, because you've not taken responsibility here and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you. Not her, I commanded you. And you let it happen. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So here we see one of the major roles of the husband is to cherish his wife, to treat her with dignity, but also to... to Ensure that his family is provided for. Do you know that? I haven't got time now. Maybe we'll pick this up later. But when you go through the Old Testament, one of the major roles of a husband and father is to provide for his family. It's one of the key aspects of being a husband and father that you provide for your family. 
This was part of subduing the earth. In other words, extend the garden, farm the earth. Why? So that you can have provision for your family, so that you can have lots of kids. How many of you know, in this day and age, in Western mindset, you sort of like have one and a half kids, two kids. Why? And, and often Western people say, well, because I don't have enough resources to give four or five children what I want them to have, you know, whether it's education or holidays or whatever. But other cultures, it's different. It's like, no, we prize children, and it's not about giving each one of them a room in the house, you know, five kids, five bedrooms, but it's actually about resourcing and providing from them emotionally and, and, and differently, you know, you know what I'm saying? But still, one of the primary roles of a husband is to ensure that his family is provided for. And so this provision role, this responsibility role to provide, right there we see. So we see that the fall attack, the fall brought judgment right to the heart of marriage. Throughout the book of, uh, of the Old Testament, I, I, I won't mention it now, but just to say what some of the things I was going to look at was we could look at violations of God's plan for marriage. And we could have looked at polygamy, and that's where, well, in the Old Testament, it's where a man had more than one wife. Do you know that God never, ever, ever um, affirmed having more than one wife as part of his plan? Never. He tolerated it, but he never planned it. And in fact, there's scriptures I could show you that show you, in Leviticus, for example, that God's plan was for one man and one woman. We could look at that. And all the mess that was caused by such things. Secondly, we could look at divorce. We will look at that later. Thirdly, adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Right in the Ten Commandments, it was a provision of what we read. A man shall become one flesh, and he shall hold fast to his wife. In other words, it's one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, you know, they become one flesh. How many fleshes can you have? You can't be one. How can you be one flesh with five women? Do you know what I'm saying? It was never God's plan. Things went wrong. Um, so these things we'll maybe touch on later. But today I just wanted to give you a picture of Genesis, of God's plan for marriage. Now, whether you agree with it or not, that's up to you. But so many people are so confused about what the Bible teaches or the Bible's opinion of marriage, because every, every man and his dog seem to have a different view on marriage, that I just thought it was important to go right back to the beginnings. Jesus did that. He said, you're talking about divorce, you're talking about this, you're talking about current family failure, you're talking about broken marriages. Well, let me just first, before I address it, tell you it wasn't so in the beginning. You want to know God's plan for marriage? You start in Genesis. God bless you.